Hi, I'm Dan Kurtzke, and tonight we're taking a look at Green Lantern Mosaic, Issue 10. This is, of course, the Jon Stewart solo series from the early 90s, and, you know, it's been 10 issues, and Jon's finally decided it's time to go to the Guardians, okay, and demand that the Mosaic cities be sent home. Which the Guardians, you know, aren't all that open to, but Jon actually puts a spin on it that they don't really expect. He tells them that their experiment has succeeded. Uh, if if you remember, the Guardians were trying to justify this whole mess by saying that that studying the mosaic would give them valuable information for you know for what to expect as more and more planets gain space travel and begin to interact with each other in friendly and violent ways. And frankly, they're surprised at what John's saying. You know, the little guys want to see it for themselves, so John John tosses them into a big flying tour bus and starts zipping around the mosaic, showing the Guardians just just everything he can. You know, this, this smattering of different people and populations. You know, he's, he's exploring all of their problems and, and, more importantly, how the different species have started to meet each other's needs in different ways. And this also stresses the benefits of letting everyone go home to teach what they've learned to their respective world. So that when the larger intergalactic community does emerge, it'll already have a foundation of friendship. Everything goes pretty great, actually, until... until a pack of berserkers start slaughtering a race of two-faced, two-personality people. It's odd to try and describe them, but it's like, it's like one body wearing a big, big baggy cloak, but there's two heads next to each other they're kind of one head but they're not and one's the good half and the other's the bad half kind of thing it's it's weird um <laughs> but you know before john can intervene the mosaic kids actually quell the violence themselves which you know, it kind of helps john's point that the mosaic is learning to take care of itself get kind of not because it's it's children, heavily armed children, trying to stop a genocide. <laughs> uh, John's been selling his point hard, right? as effectively as he possibly can, until the Guardians finally pull him aside and tell him that's enough, he doesn't have to continue, because he's won his argument. He's convinced them. See, the Guardians buy what John is selling. The look of surprise on John's face when he hears this is only topped by the look of utter excited joy one panel later when he realizes that all these people will be going home. I mean, seriously, it looks like he's going to burst, he's so happy. And then they drop the bombshell. See, everything John's showed them, all the progress they've made in such a short time, it's proven to the Guardians that given even more time, the experiment will likely yield results that surpass their wildest expectations. So for all his best efforts, the Guardians got the affirmation they needed to keep the captured cities on Oa. 
and just like that they blink away. Although what's interesting is how people react to hearing this, because everybody knew that John was going to the Guardians to plead this case, and when he tells, he starts telling people what happened, you know, Rose, for one, just kind of shrugs it off, and she immediately dives back into planning that mosaic-wide fair from last issue, and awesome, they're doing the fair after all, yeah. <laughs> um, and the mosaic kids, you know, they kind of aren't ready to go back to Earth yet. They like exploring the strange world, and who the hell wouldn't like having a power ring? Um, that's another thing, actually. The Guardians meet the kids, and after being the stereotypical condescending old geezers, you complete with patting the kids on the head, they say to John, Uh, hey, we didn't actually tell you you could give rings to children or anything. And John just sort of says... I did, and I'll do it again. And over time, the sharing of power will help unify and let people solve their own problems. And the Guardians just kind of stop talking about it forever, so I imagine it'll come up again later, but they seem to just move on immediately from that point. Something John shows off is the fact that they've apparently been slowly mapping the mosaic. And it's this cool two-page spread showing the entire patchwork civilization and the area around it. What's really cool is that you can tell they didn't just randomly place cities on this map. You know, I'm I'm looking at this map right now and seeing certain cities right next to each other and remembering specific issues where that's where they were. You know, like for example, you've got the clergy birds, the Crow Ridge Indians, and Melody Land all bordering each other, and that right there was the basis for issue seven. So, so it's nice to know that there was some thought put into this map, which really otherwise wouldn't be very visually impressive. But realizing that there's something to it makes up for the limited visual. Um, if you want to see the map, I'm putting it in the episode thread. And and I know, I say I'm scanning and posting something almost every episode, and then I never end up doing it, but I'm really going to this time. Like, seriously, I, I already scanned it. It's, it just has to get uploaded, I swear to God. <laughs> um, uh, along the way, John's tour comes to a strange region he calls the Yellow Zone. Uh, you can actually see it on the map that this area by itself is almost half as big as the entire rest of the mosaic. And it's a complete mystery. It's got an atmosphere that John can't survive in, filled with, what do they say, unending chlorine storms? <laughs> Jesus. Um, so between that and the fact that it's yellow means that you know, John can't enter the zone or scan it from the outside because it totally nullifies his ring no matter what. And remember, at this point in time... Uh, the power rings are still useless against anything yellow. Now, I love the addition of this area because of the possibilities it represents. Anything could be in there. Anything at all. Any one at all. It's just like how having dozens of random species on the mosaic you haven't even met yet gives you infinite storytelling potential. This has the ability to do that and provide something potentially ominous for John. It's also worth mentioning that in the same issue that we find out this yellow zone exists on the mosaic, this is also the issue where they more or less say outright that the Guardians aren't being totally honest with John about the mosaic. They're holding back something from him, though no guesses as to what just yet. It may come up later that when John is telling us about the Peepers, uh, which are this race of beings with hundreds of eyes that watch everything all the time, a race that John actually ferries all over the mosaic to keep watch on people and discourage outbursts. 
Um, there's a panel of a guardian with this grim look on his face, like, like maybe he heard something he didn't want to. Maybe, maybe it's a reaction to John becoming too much like Big Brother, or maybe something else. When all said and done, the real standout part of this issue is the fact that it's basically a who's who of alien races across the mosaic. Now, while John's taking the Guardians around, we get to see something like 15 or 20 different alien species, almost none of which have shown up in this series before. I mean, the alien population of the mosaic, as we know it, has just expanded to more than double what it was as of last issue. And then there's that map hinting at even more that still haven't been shown yet. I really, really want to talk about all of them, but I feel like if I tried, I'd just end up reading the entire issue to you guys. You can tell Gerard Jones had a great time coming up with some of these. Although there is one particularly gross one. I can't find the page as I thumb through quickly, but it... But there are these kind of, these pink, gross-looking creatures that, their whole deal is they eat anything. And you know, just to showcase the uh, the symbiosis of species starting to crop up across the mosaic, they are, god, how not to be gross with this, they are the logical conclusion to sanitation and waste disposal yeah <laughs> um moving on <laughs> uh we got some forum feedback here and this time it's entirely in response to the question i posed back when back a few issues ago when i wanted to know you know who could write a mosaic story today who if they if dc comics wanted to do you know, if DC Comics wanted to relaunch Green Lantern Mosaic and just capture the feel that this original run had, who could they bring on to write it? And Chad, Chad Bokelman, one of my, my co-hosts of the Lanterncast proper, says, uh, who could write a Mosaic-level story? One just as cerebral and deep and cunning as what Mosaic did or attempted to do? Old school Frank Miller. My god, if Miller got a good grasp of the Green Lantern continuity and or universe, I would love to see it. And say what you will about JMS, this is J. Michael Straczynski, but if JMS also got a good grasp on all things Green Lantern and sat down to write a story and was given almost free reign to do whatever, it would be awesome. Dan will vouch for his Thor run. If JMS's run on Thor wasn't selling gangbusters, then... Someone tell me why we already have a JMS Thor omnibus. See? Superman and Wonder Woman? To each his own. And JMS is leaving those. But Superman Earth 1? Great. Let JMS sit down and write a GL story. Give him plenty of time to do it, and maybe don't restrain him with issue deadlines, but give him a three-issue prestige format like the Green Lantern Evil's Might Elseworlds. I'd love to see that, but that's just me. Uh, it's not just you, Chad. I think that would be a pretty cool choice. I mean, I look at look at his work on Superman Earth One, and look at his run on Brave and the Bold. He knows how to tell a good, compelling, elegant superhero story. That you know, it, it doesn't matter if he has an entire graphic novel's worth of space, or or just a single issue. He can write a really good story and make you care about it. And 
you know, as you mentioned, his Thor run, which which got cut short, kind of, I won't say ruining it, but it kind of, you can tell it didn't really get to become what he wanted it to become. And it just kind of stopped after a while. But his Thor run does prove that he can take those same sensibilities that he applies to his DC work and also give us something larger and more majestic and mythic to really sink our teeth in. And, yeah, I, you know, if he wanted to do a Green Lantern story, I would definitely be open to it. I, I don't know if his... If his style would be exactly suited to this kind of book, though, I feel like he's still more in tune with mainstream stuff in terms of his writing sensibilities. But to be fair, I haven't read much more Straczynski than the stuff that came up in this in this feedback. I mean, it was it's basically been this and some of his Amazing Spider-Man work, and that's all I've read of his. But you know, if he wants to try it, I would absolutely love to see what you could do because again look at Gerard Jones look at his work here and look at it in the Green Lantern main book that he's writing at the same time and it's night and day so you know maybe he could do it um JK chimes in to say that the writer that immediately comes to mind that could do a mosaic-esque Green Lantern title would be, like you said, Morrison. But outside of that, I would say maybe Warren Ellis. Ellis is one of those writers where, even when he's doing superhero fare, it never feels standard fare. Uh, he adds a lot of hard sci-fi elements to his work, uses the world around him as fodder effectively, and has this cynical optimism about his work that seems to be a perfect fit for the off-kilter kind of book. And he says, I would agree about old-school Frank Miller. If we got the Frank Miller who wrote Ronin onto GLC, it would be infinitely awesome. When I think of Frank Miller, I understandably think of Sin City, and I can almost picture Mosaic being drawn by Frank Miller. Just say, like, a toned-down version of his his uh, Sin City artwork. I'm not sure I would necessarily want a series of that, but but uh, an issue or a few pages, f- it feels like it would work. It, it, it would be kind of in the same vein as what Cully Hamner's been doing, just, just with more stark contrast. Uh, plus, if he went the black and white route with, with a dab of color here and there, it would actually help thematically reinforce the some of the the stuff going on in Mosaic, not to mention the strong role color usually tends to play in a Green Lantern book anyway. Uh, as for Warren Ellis, I actually don't think I've ever read anything by Warren Ellis. I'm definitely aware of lots of his work, but I don't think I've ever had the time or, or inclination to to sit down and read any of his work. Huh. Might have to do that if if you put his work up with the caliber of what we're getting here, then mm, I might have to get on that. Uh, so hey, in keeping with all that, with this issue in mind, and it's, it's big who's who-ness of different alien races across the mosaic, let me ask all of you, what species would you personally add to the mosaic? You know, it could be something else from DC, or another comic company, or from TV or movies, or something new you make up, or whatever. Uh, what would you want to see slapped into this patchwork world? Uh, you know, for me, and 
fans of Doctor Who will know what I'm talking about when I say that I think it would be really, really interesting to see something like the Ood or the Weeping Angels populate part of the mosaic. You know, they kind of they kind of feel like they belong there, you know? So uh, I'm very curious to see what you guys come up with for that one. So, you know, write in. Write in, call in. You know. uh, moving on to the rest of the feedback. The theme of the letters page this time around seems to be people who didn't like the book so much at first kind of coming around on it after the first six issues. You know, one longtime fan of John Stewart said that at first he could barely recognize the character, but after six months has come to really see the larger scope of what this book's been saying about John, and that it's familiar to him after all. This same guy got into Green Lantern in the first place thanks to John. Now, after seeing him in a random issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and has since gone back and gotten all the issues of Crisis and the Green Lantern series, which at the time was starring Jon Stewart. It's funny, this is kind of like how today people get into Green Lantern via Justice League Unlimited, where he's the main Green Lantern representative in the big high-profile crossover thing, kind of like he was back in Crisis. Also, a woman writes in, and I swear this is true, correcting Gerard Jones for misrepresenting the definition of estrogen. <laughs> uh, remember back in issue 6? I think I even read the line on the show. He has Boudicca say uh, say something to the effect of, of fighting with every drop of estrogen. Uh, well, as she points out here, estrogen is something that kind of mellows you out. and So the context charging into battle doesn't really gel. Adding that should have been testosterone, which women also produced. Although I have to think that, considering the strong male versus female theme from that issue, Jar Jones probably crafted that line just to play up Boudicca and her overly pro-feminine slash anti-male perspective, and, and estrogen is just instantly recognizable as female. I like this one thing a letter writer said, as part of a much larger text that I won't read all of, but he says, the universe is a big place, and who are we to say what's absurd about a situation on a planet in the center of the universe? Which is a nice addition to just kind of the mindset you should take with you when you're reading this book. Um, well, once again, the letters are being answered by Joe Felice, not Gerard Jones, so there's not much interesting to be gleaned from the responses. Uh, though it is noteworthy that he's begun to assist Gerard Jones with dialogue and plotting, as, as Gerard's got a new baby at home, remember? Um, uh, I'd worry about that, well, the, the, the him helping write the book, not the baby. The baby's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be worried about the impact on the series that having another writer help out, except that it began with this very issue, and I love this issue, so... So the quality of Mosaic should remain intact until the end. Um, you know, speaking of which, one of the letters mentions the fact that word has come out that Mosaic is being cancelled. Now what's weird about this is, yes, okay, Mosaic does end before its time in issue 18, but this letter was written between issues 6 and 7. So the obvious question would be, how the hell did it make it to issue 18? I've been poking around, and every source I find ultimately comes back to this quote from Ars Cully Hamner. Uh, he says, 
As I was told at the time, it didn't fit with DC editorial vision, whatever that means. Sales didn't matter, fan support didn't matter, the first issue sold about 210,000 copies, and my last issue sold about 70,000, so there was plenty of support for the book. It was marked for cancellation when issue 5 came out, and they allowed Jerry Jones a year to wrap it up, but there was no doubt that it was being cancelled because somebody upstairs just didn't care for it. So I had a feeling after a while of creatively being against a brick and got out before the end. You pays your money, you takes your chances. That's the biz. And it's it's true, I th- believe Cully Hamner's final issue is 15? 14 or 15? I'll have to, I would have to check. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting. That they would actually give him that much more time. Because when I think... When I think of something being cancelled, I think more immediacy. You know, not, not necessarily, okay, this issue didn't didn't pan out, so you're cancelled, there's no issue next month. I mean, obviously comics are done several months in advance and solicited several months in advance, so they might have had a few issues left in the can that, you know, we've already paid the creative team for it, we may as well publish it, or, or hell, they might even have given Gerard Jones an extra couple issues to wrap things up, but he got over a year to finish it. Now, granted, that's a drop in the bucket compared to the run he was expecting to have, but still, that's that's crazy to think about. And now, there is one more element to all of this that does make the book's cancellation make a lot more sense, but we'll talk about that later, as not to get ahead of ourselves. So... That does it for issue 10. So if you want to to weigh in with your thoughts on this issue or any other issue, you can write me at dan at lanterncast.com or lanterncast at gmail.com or you can phone us at 206-202-1159. Uh, check us out on Facebook. We have a forum at thecomicforums.com, also accessible through lanterncast.com. I think we have Twitter now and all sorts of great stuff. So, alright, I'll see you next week. 